we are basically following or walking with the people that are the descendants of Abraham. Now, the descendants of Abraham are the children that, you know, from Isaac and Jacob, and now they're a big group of people. They are living in Egypt. Now, it's not like, you know, they're in a good situation. It's not like they can bring up Abraham and doors will be open to them, and people are just going to smile. Actually, the people, they are the descendants of Abraham in Egypt. At this point, they are in slavery. They are in suffering. They are being oppressed by the people that are uh, the actual citizens of that land. So it's very important for us to know that this is a journey that God saw their cry. And I want to read something that's not uh, on chapter 14. It's actually in chapter 3. But I think it exemplifies a little bit of what we'll be talking about and what it means to join God in a journey. So God said uh, in Exodus 3 verses 7, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned. I want to say this again. God is saying he is concerned about their suffering. And this is really helpful for me because in a day like this, like we prayed earlier, there's so many people suffering. And sometimes it's hard even to think about, what is God thinking? What is happening here? And it's really comforting for me to know that God sees their cry, and He says that He is concerned. Now, as part of our story, we realize, and two weeks ago we heard about this, that God also found somebody else that was concerned, and this person is Moses. And God invites Moses to participate in the freeing of his people. So let's read. So if you have your Bible with you, we'll be reading most of chapter 14. So I'll start in verse 1. Exodus 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hariroth between Migdon and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal Zeron, Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering about around the land in confusion, hammed in by the sea. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariots made ready and took, and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites. 
who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites over pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hiroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and, they, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt? that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say, say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord, the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will never, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your, arm, your hand over the sea and divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry, and on dry ground. Now jump to verse 21 and 22. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all the night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry land, on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Now, finally, verse 29 through 31. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him, in Moses, and Moses, his servant. Now, I, I want to be very vulnerable with you guys today. Um, is that okay? Is that cool? All right, so I am 36 years old. And the first time that I heard this story... I was probably 18 or 19. And I remember hearing this story and looking around and expecting everybody around me to have the same kind of surprised, incredulous reaction that I had. You know, I expected them to, to have their faces like, what's going on here? What, is this even possible? And I remember it clearly that, you know, not only people who had the most common facial expression, the guy teaching just moved on and just kept talking as if everybody agreed that this was, you know, a thing of life. And I realized that I did not have the privilege of hearing this before I had taken physics in high school. 
See, I did not get to hear this story when I was three years old, and then five years old, and then 10 years old. It was, you know, I was 19, and I saw this, and I was shocked. And to be completely honest, I don't remember anything the preacher or the teacher said that day, other than the fact that he's talking about a group of people walking on the bottom of the sea with a wall of water beside them. If this is you today, I want to first say that I'm so glad that you're here. I also want to say this. I believe church is the right place to have these conversations and questions. I believe that this is the right place for us to put out your, our doubts and actually have conversation, have communication, and actually go deeper into this understanding. So I want to say something that is very important because I don't want you to stop with that doubt. What I want you to hear is this. Don't let the doubt of possibility, which I think it's healthy, rob you from the wonder of transformation that we just read. Again, do not let the doubt of possibility rob you from the wonder of transformation. And the second thing is for most of us, or maybe the rest of us, and this is it. Do not let familiarity with this story, which I also think it's healthy, rob you from the same wonder of transformation that is happening here. Sometimes we are so familiar with this story that we miss what is actually happening. Now this week, I was so fortunate to gain a new insight into how this story is seen from different perspectives. Now the Christian perspective tends to be one focused on the power of God over the forces of nature. We get focused on the fact that Moses would stretch his arm and God would part the sea, which I think it's true and it's very important for us to understand in this story. But from the perspective of scholars or Israelites, they have a different take on this story. It's actually focused on not as much the power of God, but the fact that through that passage, by the fact that they walked through into God's power and through it, they were born as a new nation. They are being transformed from slaves to free as they take every single step in that journey. So I want us to very much focus on that, that there is a transformation happening here from slavery to freedom that I do not want us to miss. I would call this a critical moment, a critical transformation. And again, I want to be vulnerable with you guys, and I'm going to show you a picture. I know you will laugh. I'll cry afterwards. <laughs> but this is me. I think I have a picture back there. Uh, this is me at the age of 10. So this is just set the, the stage to the story that I'm going to tell you guys. This is my birthday. Do you see this black thing? You know, on my shoulder, that, that's a fanny pack. You guys ever, <laughs> ever seen those? You know, do you see those stylish, stylish, you know, glasses there? 
As you can see, I was not the hottest thing in school. Uh, you can take it away. That's too much. <laughs> so, so I want to tell you guys a story that happened to me when I was, I don't know, you know, memory is hard, probably 12, 13. Um, so I, I went to this school, I was probably seventh, eighth grade. I went to this school that was right by a slum. It was, very, it was a, a tough school. And you can imagine that kid going to a tough school would not be a good, um, good picture. So I grew up in Brazil, and this school was set right by a slum. And I went to that school, and it, it was a lot of fun. You know, I, I loved that school. But as you can imagine, as a 12-year-old, I was not just a nerd, but I had this vague desire to someday kiss a girl. And I pursued a girl, and she, for, for some reason, maybe, you know, she just wanted to be kind. You know, she, she gave me a kiss. And she kissed me, and soon after, I learned that she had an ex-boyfriend. Now, this ex-boyfriend was, you know, high school age, and I don't think that he thought of himself as an ex-boyfriend. You understand, you know, I, I think, you know, he did not get the, the memo. So um, rumors arose that he wanted to fight me. Now, again, you saw the picture. There's no way that kid is fighting anybody. So, but rumors arose and one day, one fateful day, as I walk out of school, out of the gates of the school, there he is, waiting for me. Now, from my eyes, he looked like a giant. He, maybe he was 16, I don't know. He looked 25. <laughs> and he had a group of friends, and they kind of had a circle, you know, out of the gate of the school. And I remember stepping there and looking for one single adult <laughs> that could save me. To no avail, there are no adults there. Like I said, tough school. You're on your own. I step out, and as I walk, my life, my short life is running through my eyes. <laughs> and this guy boldly takes out his belt, and he's going to spank me with his belt, <laughs> okay? To which, you know, my mind just rushes, right? Which stops at something that happened. I remember watching a documentary a martial arts documentary <laughs> in which the instructor in the, documentary, in the documentary said that you could use a sweater as a protecting tool against an attack from a nunchuck. <laughs> you guys don't believe me? This is true. <laughs> so, I didn't have a belt. I had those hideous, you know, elastic pants, you know. So I didn't have a belt to match his weapon, so I took my sweater out of my waist. And as he swung his belt, I swung my sweater. I don't know what happened. I, I probably had my eyes closed, you know. Just, you know, I did something like this with my sweater. 
and his belt gets stuck in my sweater, and I get control of his belt. I again close my eyes and swing his belt, which hits his face. He falls to the ground and starts screaming, in which I step on him and yell, no, I didn't say that. in which I see him lying on the ground and I just look for the weakest member of his crew and run. Hopefully, you know, this guy will just step away, which he does. He steps away, I run through it, and I survive that day. I, I know. Yeah, you knew that I survived since I'm here. You know, this is... <laughs> I had to run home for the rest of the year to avoid this kid. My teachers would let me leave school early or stay at school later until this guy left. It, it was a terror. But this was a critical moment for me. It actually changed a lot of how I saw myself, not just my ability to fight because that did not improve at all. But it, it did change something about me inside. It transformed something very innate in me and that was my confidence. It, it shifted a little bit, my ability to actually look people in the eye and move around. Now, I want to point out to something here that is very important, looking back at that text. The parting of the sea is very important. It's a powerful and glorious demonstration of God. But you have to remember that for the people that experienced it, that was not all that happened. It was not just an external experience. It was an internal transformation from a mind in which they now can be free and they have a new direction for their life. So I want us to focus on that and I have three points that I want to share with you. First, so number one, that event began to transform the image they were leaving behind. Each one of those persons that were able to step into that journey, they were leaving something behind. They were leaving slavery. They were leaving bondage. See, I believe that when we step into God's journey, all of us have to leave something behind. There is something about you, something that you believe about you, something that people have said about you, something that you've done that you have to leave behind. That cannot be part of the journey. Number two, this event also began to transform the image and narrative they had about their internal self no longer inferior, but free. And by the way, I want to point out this. This is a scary, this is a huge risk. It's moving from what is known to something that is unknown. It's almost having to discover things about you that you never knew before. And then three, ultimately this event set the stage for a new life that was ahead of them not alone, 
but a journey with God. So I'm thinking about this and I cannot avoid but to think about the experience of baptism. So I want to read a passage in Romans chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles with you, it's Romans chapter 6. But I really want you to even think about your own baptism, think about your own transformation, your own journey. So let me read. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore bared with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Verse 5. For we, for if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So, in the same way that baptism is not the end of the Christian journey, this event that we read in Exodus is not the end of their journey. It is the beginning of a transformational journey. And I believe that the best way for us to understand this transformational journey is to join Moses as he joins God in this journey. See, God delighted in allowing Moses to play a part in leading this group of people from slavery to freedom. But we have to understand and not actually make a mistake about or to make an error here and read this story as Moses' story. We have to remind or even think of this as the Israelite story. It's God's story. It's the story of a concerned God for people that are suffering. And his calling them out into a journey in the same way that they call, God calls us because he's concerned about our suffering. And he invites us into a new life, a new life in transformation. So Moses got to play a part and be transformed by it. The people got to play a part and be transformed by it. And we get to play a part and be transformed by it. So what does this process look like? I wish I had a perfect formula that would apply for all of you guys, but I, I have one that kind of has been part of my journey. So I'll, I'll share that and hopefully it will apply to your process, your life, your transformation. But like the passage that we read in Romans, it asked me to let go of my old self. It asked me to let go of my selfishness, my self-centeredness, my greed, my lust, my resentments, my shame. And you can fill it in the blank. It will require for you to let go of so much to the point that you may not even recognize yourself. 
But then there's that fear, right? Because you're stepping into something that is unknown. And I, I want to say something about this because this has been helpful for me. This unknown is a movement from a life that is self-directed into a life that is God-directed. And it can be scary because then God is in control. It's not me trying to manipulate things or create things or organize things so that they end up happening in the way that I want them to happen. But actually, it's self-directed in which it may be hard and scary because I don't know what's going to happen, but I have, fear, or I have peace and serenity in the process. Finally, I believe that a God-directed life will ultimately lead to a greater connection, joy, and freedom. Connection with each other, connection with God, freedom with each other, and freedom in God. So, I'm asking you guys a lot. And what I want you to hear is this. There is no expectation other than start wherever you are. Wherever you are in this journey, you start there. For many of us, this is an invitation to balance the voices of skepticism and allow our hearts to be curious. I had to do a lot of that. Just balance the voice of skepticism and allow yourself to be curious about this journey. For many of us, this is an invitation to step into the unknown. A call to move right beyond the place we, where we have found to be familiar and stagnant. The reality that I learned about myself was that change was so scary that I was okay staying with the pain that I knew. So stepping into a life that's God-directed was so scary that I thought, you know, it's better for me to stay with a life that is self-directed but I know that pain. The calling for some of you guys will be to let go of that pain. Let go of that fear and allow God to walk and direct you. Lastly, I want that for some of us, especially those that have been familiar with this process, is to have a beginner's mind. We may have heard this story as a child, Maybe we have watched the movie, we've read the chapter several times, and it's easy to have the stance of an expert. I've heard this, I know this, and actually miss the calling to have a beginner's mind. I do believe that for all of us, there is a call to join in this transformational journey as we continue through our reading of this book. And that we may allow God to powerfully surprise us in this journey. See, in a minute, we're going to share in communion. There are tables all around the room. And we'll have an opportunity to, to respond and to participate. Again, 
not with a, a big expectation of where you should be or you know, any kind of should or must, but really wherever you are. You respond from wherever you are. I would encourage you to talk about the place that you are or that you find yourself with someone that you came with or someone that you feel comfortable with. There will be people close to the respond banner that will be more than glad to talk to you and pray with you. But I want you to begin the journey. Step into the unknown. Let go of what is familiar. See, I believe that communion represents God's unrelenting commitment to continuous transformation. God is not a God that is stagnant. He is on the move. And communion is an invitation not only to remember Jesus, which I think it's the main focus of it, but it's also an opportunity to join him in his journey. A journey marked by letting go of our old identity and narrative and to be reborn into a new life. I believe this um, with all that I am. Um, this new life and this new journey is a journey that provides not a safe life, but an abundant, adventurous life. It's an adventurous journey. And as we stand, and I'd like for all of you guys to stand, we're going to pray, and then I'm going to ask God to find you wherever you are and to encourage you to move to the next step in this journey. So stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you realizing that there's so much in our life right now that is painful, yet we, we feel comfortable with. I ask God that you powerfully transform our hearts, lead us into letting go, standing our hands and letting you pick up our shame, our selfishness, our guilt. Take it, Father. I know you can. I also ask that you bless each one of us with the courage to step into the unknown and to know that we'll find you on the other side, free and in communion with you. Father, I thank you for the bread, the juice, and each person here that represents your family, Father. Help us have a heart of anticipation, knowing that you're here, that you love us dearly, and that you will direct us. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.